Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast, is part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. They are enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience. Visit online at phlsportsnation.com. Flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and men, it's time to chop those weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim your holes safely and efficiently. I'm talking about ball trimmers, gentlemen. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use the code PHL to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com and join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They are here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it's time for a little spring cleaning. Have you heard of their Weed Whacker? This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. No more gross nose hairs flying in the wind. And the Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 rotations per minute motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Manscaped is making, is making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to, delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene. Manscaped obviously still has their Perfect Package 3.0, which comes with their signature trimmer and much more. So you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. It's spring cleaning, baby, and your balls will thank you. Garbage in a goal. Welcome into another episode of Garbage Into Gold. I am your host, Jesse Larch. I will not be joined by the man you heard in the beginning of this episode reading that wonderful little excerpt about his downstairs as he was getting ready for a wedding that he had this past weekend. Currently on his honeymoon, so I'm flying solo for this one. Um, but congratulations, seriously, to Brandon After. Um, married his lovely wife, Erica. You may have heard her cleaning some dishes or gathering a snack during one of our episodes. Uh, she does not understand mine and Brandon's affinity for the Sixers, but God bless her for putting up with it. Um, so best of luck to you two, and we'll come back to that topic at the end of the episode. But let's jump into some Sixers talk. This will be a quick one. Not too much to cover as we're going into the end of the season here. Um, Sixers pretty much have that first seed locked up. The magic number is now one after the Spurs beat the Milwaukee Bucks pretty soundly the other night. And as I'm currently recording this, the Spurs are in the third quarter, I believe, with the Nets when what's another tight game. So the Spurs could single-handedly put the Sixers in the one seed if all goes well. Um, Sixers could have done it on their own last night. They played the Indiana Pacers, but, you know, they were up big at halftime, another Dreadful third quarter from this team, and then fell flat in the fourth. Pacers steal the win. Sixers were without Joel Embiid for a non-COVID-related illness. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. They're only going to go as far as Embiid takes them, really. I mean, you'd like to see more from the supporting cast, but, you know, it is what it is at this point. The remaining schedule for the Sixers, they have a game tomorrow night against the Miami Heat in Miami. And then they return home for the final two games of the season against the Orlando Magic. So, 
if they can't pull a win out of one of those games and secure the one seed themselves, I'll be really disappointed. But it does seem like the Sixers will be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference come playoff time. That will be huge because that forces the Brooklyn Nets to go through the Milwaukee Bucks before getting to the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals, assuming all the teams make it there as I knock on my desktop here. Um, as it looks right now, Boston, Charlotte, Indiana, and Washington look like the four play-in teams. Um, nobody's really close enough to kind of get rid of those four. The four teams within that bubble could shuffle around their seating. But those will be the four teams vying for those last two playoff spots. Boston does seem to have that seven seed locked up. So it should be one of the Charlotte Hornets, Indiana Pacers, or the Washington Wizards to face the Sixers in the first round. Um, and in Boston's case, they did just lose Jalen Brown for the remainder of the season with a torn ligament in his wrist. Um, you know, Charlotte, they, they're playing better basketball every single night. Terry Rozier has started to make that contract make a little sense for them. Indiana just always a sound basketball team. And Washington has just been red hot after a horrible start, start to the season. Um, Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal really starting to click. That's a scary thing to watch. So that's probably the worst case scenario for the Sixers in the first round um, to run into a red hot Washington team. But even then... Any of those matchups, I like the Sixers in a seven-game series. I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Again, let's knock on that desktop. Let's not let's not jinx the Sixers. But um, all all seems well and good for them right now. Even if they can't do it on their own, they should be locking up that one seed in the East. Um, one question with this team is, you know, me and Brandon have been talking about it a lot on recent episodes. Is how are the Sixers going to how are they going to look in the playoffs? What are they going to end up doing? And here we are with three games remaining in the season. And we've heard Doc Rivers say things along the lines of, you know, the rotation isn't going to change. Um, he's going to keep using the same type of lineups he has been all season long. And, I mean, he's kind of sticking to his guns because he's still running 11 players out there on a nightly basis. Um, and, and that's not the nights when he goes to empty the bench and, you know, secure an easy win. You know, Tyrese Maxey, not that he doesn't deserve it, but Tyrese Maxey's still getting bench minutes. Shake Milton, Dwight Howard, Furkan Korkmaz when he's healthy, Matisse Thibel. Now you have George Hill in the mix. Um, and even Mike Scott rotates in there. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure you can go that deep in the playoffs. You end up with, you know, you figure right now your starters give you 32 to 36 minutes a night. You know, come playoff time, you need those guys to be giving you around 40 minutes to really match up with the other team's heavyweights, especially when you look down the line to, you know, a Bucks matchup or a Nets matchup, something like that. You definitely need those those big-time players out there for the majority of the game. So how are you going to get 11 guys on the floor if there's only, you know, another, another 12 or so minutes for them to split between them? I mean, I, Dwight Howard's locked in because he's the only backup big the team has. And he gives them a lot off the bench. Good defense, good rebounder. Um, gives up no easy baskets. I mean, that, that's a good guy to have off the bench, especially come playoff time. Then you look at, you figure George Hill's probably safe because they need that ball handler. You figure Shake Milton because he's been relatively consistent this year. He could have been a little more consistent, but he hasn't done anything to lose the job. Matisse Thibel's defense has certainly warranted him a spot in this lineup. Furkan Korkmaz has come leaps and bounds forward. 
he's earned a spot in this lineup. So my issue is Doc Rivers saying that he doesn't want to change anything. On merit, none of the players have done anything to lose a spot. But it, it's just a victim of circumstances. You know, you can't... I don't see how he can play 11 guys in the playoffs. So I'm really not sure where he thinks this is going to go, how he's going to be able to pull this one off. Um, you know, I, I have heard him say, me and Brandon referenced it on the last episode, that he intends on playing Tyrese Maxey in the playoffs. Um, but uh, still, I believe George Hill's going to get minutes. I believe Shake Milton will get guard minutes. You know, Matisse Thibel will be getting guard minutes. I mean, I, I don't know how he's going to make all this work. I think it's going to be really case by case. You know, it's going to be a lot of feel for what's happening in the game. What skill set are the Sixers lacking in a certain moment? I think Doc's, it's not going to be a consistent rotation in the playoffs. I think we're going to see a Doc having to really read the game as it's happening and figure out, do we need defense? Do we need shooting? Do we need a penetrator? Um, you know, all of these different things. Do we need length? Do we need speed? What are the things that are missing out there? And I, I don't, you know, I, 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 that's the only way I can see it working. I, I'm really... Really at a loss. Well, me and Brandon have been trying to figure this one out for weeks, and we just can't get to a conclusion on how he's going to make this one work. And it seems like, especially with games like last night against Indiana, where the team kind of lost the grip of the game, um, and there, you know, he Doc did try some new things. We saw an Isaiah Joe run in the third quarter, which you know I'm happy to see Isaiah Joe, but I don't see him being an answer come playoff time. You know, it's is that what it's going to be? Is are the Change is going to be too little too late. You know, is, is he going to be proactive about it? Are guys going to have a short leash? Um, I feel like there's a lot to be learned. In my optimistic brain, I like to think that Doc has a master plan that none of us know about. I like to think that he has a switch he's going to flip on Ben Simmons, that, you know, everything's going to come together once we're into that next phase of the season. But without seeing it, it's hard to really believe that. And I, I'm still just, you know, I want to believe that this team has the answers, but there's still a lot of questions to be answered, and it feels like that's always the case with the Sixers. So I'm I'm really eager to get to the playoffs to see what we end up doing. But 11-man rotation in the playoffs just doesn't sound like a good idea, especially when you're taking minutes away from guys like Harris and Embiid and Simmons. You know, the way they, the, what they mean to this team, it's not, it's not what I want to see happen, but, you know, there's a reason Doc's been one of the best coaches in the game so long. So maybe he's going to stick to his guns. Maybe he's just giving some fluff for the media. Um, but the suspense is starting to kill me because it's been, like I said, it's been two or three weeks where I think me and Brandon have had a couple of the same conversations where we just keep coming back to it and we can't, we can't get a solid answer. And until we get one, uh, it's going to be on the forefront of my mind. I'm really not sure how this team's going to how this team's going to look in the playoffs if it's different philosophy offensively you know if the how much the minutes are going to change because everything doc has said so far i don't want to say he's keeping it close to the vest because he's giving you a pretty open answer but to honestly say that nothing's going to change and the rotations are going to be how they are right now that's just not realistic in a playoff situation every single team in the nba plays their starters more shortens the bench so I'd be really surprised to see Doc stick to that. But, you know, I can only take him at his word for right now. I think there's some I think there's another shoe to drop here, but 
you know, we have a few more games until we get to figure that one out. Um, next uh, next segment, we're going to take a couple of questions from Twitter. Um, we received two for this episode. First one is from Regs Detmer at Regs Det. He asked, Embiid needs to pass the ball a lot more with aggressive double coverage coming in the playoffs. Do you think Embiid can handle the double team all game? Is he going to be okay with giving up the ball with the game on the line? Does it get to him mentally and affect his game on the court? So, as far as the double coverage goes, I think we've seen Embiid kind of improve with passing out of double teams. Um, I think he'll definitely be a victim of it because he is someone that's averaging 30 points a night. Um, Obviously, the Sixers, he's the head of the snake for the Sixers' offense. If you can eliminate Embiid, you know, and this is where we can get into an MVP argument too, Embiid versus Jokic, you double-team Jokic, you know he's going to pass out of it and find an open man. Embiid hasn't, Embiid's capable of finding an open man, but he hasn't proven that he can do it on a consistent basis. And I think that is kind of what Regs is getting at here, that teams are going to force Embiid to kind of prove that he can play with his team and make the team beat them instead of letting Embiid beat them himself. Now, can he handle a double team all game? I don't think anyone can really handle a double team all game. Um, It's really going to depend on his in-game awareness. And that's one thing that I have kind of knocked Joel Embiid on a little bit is his IQ. I don't when I say knock, I mean if I have a critique for him. But keep in mind, this is a guy that's been playing the game, I think, eight total years. So... In terms of experience, he doesn't he hasn't experienced enough situations to have that real time IQ. Um, but that is the one area that I think Embiid has lacked. He has all the talent in the world physically, um, and even technically, he's a marvel. But that 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 experience you get just from pl- only from playing, you can't get it any other way. Those are the times when you see Embiid kind of make little mistakes here and there. So it's how much has he learned? How quick can he adapt? That's kind of the question for that. Because if he's getting doubled all game, he's going to have to know there's an open man somewhere. He's going to have to be able to find them. And we're going to find out how much he's developed that part of his skill set when these situations arise. Um, The next part of the question was, is he going to be okay with giving up the ball with the game on the line? I think we've already seen that is not something Joel Embiid is good at. You know, he, he tends to, which is a great quality to have. It's, you know, and a lot of the greatest players ever have this quality of wanting the ball in the big moment. And I do believe Joel Embiid is one of those guys. When the game's on the line, he wants the ball and he wants to win it for his team. But I've also seen him take a lot of, and this goes back to the IQ thing, I've also seen him take a lot of misguided shots. Um, you know, like 18-foot fadeaways, like turnarounds, things that just don't make sense for a 7-foot-2 monster of a man to be trying with the game on the line. Like, get to the rim, back them down, use your strength, draw a foul. And, you know, Embiid tries to hit that, like, that movie moment that you see where someone hits the shot right at the buzzer with a hand in their face and all of that. It's when you're a bully like Embiid can be, you don't need to do all of that. And that's the uh, that's the part of him, his game that's gonna. That's what still frustrates me. I mean, he's obviously amazing, but if there's things to critique him on, I would have to say just his situational awareness. And I think that's kind of the answer to Regs's question here: is you know, is Embiid has he developed mentally enough to get to this point? 
And that's the next question that he has here is, does it get to him mentally and affect his game on the court? I don't think it'll affect his game on the court um, if he's being taken out of the game. I, I think Embiid has matured past that point of getting out of character in a game. But I do think that when I say mentally, I'm referring again to that IQ and to how how does he react to the situation in the moment or a situation he hasn't experienced before. You know, is is his awareness of the game, knowledge of the game, gotten to the level yet where it can bail him out of situations that his physical abilities can't? Um, and, you know, that's the value of you see every team every year wants to add a veteran at the trade deadline, someone that's been there and done that, you know, like the Sixers did with George Hill. And that is the whole thinking there is you get someone that can impart that kind of wisdom on the players. So, you know, it's basically for me this question has Embiid played enough basketball to really understand that it isn't all on his shoulders, how to use his team, you know, it it comes to that point where you you do something for the first time and it feels like everything's moving so fast around you, and then each time you do it, everything's a little slower and you're a little more in control, Um, and at what point does Embiid begin to feel like he's the one in control? Now... Obviously, he does a lot with the nights he's been putting up, you know, 30 and 15 and under 30 minutes a few of these nights the last few weeks. Um, it's been amazing to watch. But, you know, it's it's all about when you have to put your nose to the grindstone and find another way to do it. Is is that in there for him? And I'm excited to see if it is. I, I do believe that, you know, there's still more to come from Embiid in a lot of ways, and which... That itself is a scary statement considering where he's already at, but in some ways he's still still a very, very young basketball player in terms of the amount of basketball he's actually played. You know, he still has a lot to learn in a lot of facets. So it's just a matter of how much has this coaching staff helped him learn those, how much has the guys they brought in like the White Howard and George Hill helped them be learn these things, and are we going to see them in practice? Now, obviously, hoping we will, but I do think this is a situation where only time will tell. Um, the next question we have, the final question, is from Philly Sports 24 at Philly underscore Sports 24. And they asked, if the Nets' big three are all healthy, who does Ben Simmons cover, Durant or Harden? If he guards Harden, that leaves Tobias on Durant. Whereas if you put Ben on Durant, you can put Green and or Thibel on Harden. It will be interesting. So, I do believe me and Brandon discussed this also, but this is also a frequent question me and my friends have when we open up some beers, and we all disagree. Um, we actually just had this conversation this past weekend, and I did convince someone on my side, and let me explain that one to you right here. So, I think you have to have Ben on Durant. I think that is not even an argument. Um, the length, the size, the strength, I mean, it's the only guy with any chance of slowing down KD. Now, I think you put Danny Green on Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving loves to get to the basket. Um, Not that Harden doesn't. Harden loves to play for the foul, but Kyrie is a noted rim attacker. Um, Acrobatic finishes at the rim. You know, probably the best in the game at doing it, if we're being honest. I like Danny Green on him because not only does he have more length than Kyrie, but he is an extremely disciplined defender. So when Kyrie is trying to drive at him and get him off balance, 
Danny Green's footwork will be solid. He'll provide resistance to Kyrie, and even if he doesn't stop him, he's not going to foul him and give him free points at the line. And I think this is the game you're getting into where it is going to be a nickel and dime type of defense where, just face it, the Nets are going to get their points. The Sixers' defense is elite. It's almost as elite as it comes. I think they're number two in the league, and that's with missing a lot of the team all year. I mean, when the Sixers decide it, they are the best defensive team in the NBA. Um, so with Danny Green on Kyrie, you kind of you have to let Kyrie play his game there, but Danny Green's not going to give it to him easy, and he's not going to foul himself out of the game. Now, the one talk we've had about guarding Harden, because this is where it gets tricky, is I don't want to put Thibel on Harden, at least at the start of the game, only because I do believe Harden will get Thibel into foul trouble quickly. Um, Thibel likes to defend very aggressively. He likes to jump lanes. He likes to smother you. For a guy like Harden who can handle in a phone booth and knows how to get the calls, that is not a good situation for Matisse Thibel. He's going to get caught over committing, and he will get caught in foul trouble, I believe, if you have him as the primary defender on Harden to start the game. Now, the, the what I presented to my friends when we were discussing this was to drop Seth Curry from the starting lineup, still have him off the bench as an excellent shooting piece, insert George Hill into the starting lineup. George Hill has a reputation as being a good defender throughout his career. He still provides spacing. He provides ball handling. You can then offensively, well, in the situation also, George Hill would be on Harden. And you're really only asking George Hill to keep Harden at bay, force him to shoot from the outside. You know, just don't let him get in, don't foul him. It's essentially all you're asking. And then you have Tobias and Embiid to play in the paint, take care of uh, the bigger bodies for the Nets. But then offensively, now you have two ball handlers with Ben and Hill. Hill himself, who is not afraid to shoot the three and shoots it well. And it allows you to perhaps play bully ball with the Nets. Because um, now you can put Ben inside if you have Hill running the offense. So you put Ben down low, you put Embiid down low, or you can even space with Embiid and let Ben be the guy going after rebounds. Suddenly, the offense might not be as good as it is at the moment, but it suddenly becomes a little more versatile. You have a guy out there who can still space the floor, but is more defensively responsible than Seth Curry is. And really, if we're just going to be honest, there's not a right answer to this question. Um, you know, you want to see Thibel out there, but then Thibel's shooting's a liability. You want to keep Seth Curry shooting out there, but defensively he's a reliability or a liability. You know, you put George Hill in, then you lose the ball handler off the bench. I mean, there's there's just no easy way to attack the Nets lineup. This is this is just the one idea that I've kind of settled on. That say the Sixers and Nets do meet in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's the only answer. I can really think of that uh, that sort of gets you to a satisfying result. And even then, it, until you see it in person on the floor, there's no way to know how well any of these ideas are going to work. So with this one, it's it's you just kind of hope. You hope what you come up with works. Because I, mean, I, I do believe the Sixers are being slept on a little bit. Um, the Sixers are getting their starters off the floor after 20... After like 24, 25 minutes every night, you know, and they're still putting up big stat lines. 
putting teams away early, and people are kind of just not even acknowledging that the Sixers are dominating teams. And I think, you know, if you pl- apply that philosophy, you have to ask, what happens when the Sixers get their starters out there for 40 minutes a night? Suddenly are the Nets so big and bad when they have to play the Sixers starters for 40 minutes? Because nobody's had to do that yet. And with nobody having to do that, the Sixers have still been good enough to finish first in the East. And I think there's, I think the Sixers aren't getting the respect they deserve. Because this isn't a case like out West where the Nuggets had the one seed last year or the Jazz have it this year where, you know, you can look at those teams and say, well, they're a good regular season team, but they can't handle the playoffs. The Sixers have the star power to make a run in the playoffs. This isn't a team like, you know, like we see the Pacers were a lot recently with the Nate McMillan teams or like those Nuggets teams or this year's Jazz team where, you know, it's a really good regular season team, but they aren't good enough to go one-on-one and take down a big fish. Um, The Sixers have the players to take down superstars. And I think that's the big dividing factor. And people... People are going to hopefully get a nice little wake-up call here. So I still wouldn't bet on the Sixers beating the Nets in a seven-game series, but I'm not saying they can't do it. I don't think it's as open and shut as the media has tried to kind of make it out to be here. I do think the Sixers have a path to victory if they play the Nets. Um, really, I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be fascinating basketball to see how you know two very different types of teams battle each other. I don't think we've seen two teams that different probably since the 2011 Mavs and the Heat in that series where it was just a total clash of the way the games played um, and seeing how that matched up. And I think if you get Sixers-Nets, that is kind of what you'll be looking at. Now for the final segment of this quick little episode as I wait for my lovely co-host to rejoin me in a future episode is we're going to go through and I'm going to give you my verbal um, memory of Brandon's wedding, which I cannot attend as I live in the Philadelphia suburbs and he now lives in Atlanta for work. But he did marry his wonderful wife, Erica, this weekend. And you guys weren't all there, but since you're our loyal listeners, I feel like you should be. So we're going to do a quick little exercise here. Um, Obviously, Erica wore a white dress, as brides do. Brandon wore a black tuxedo, silver vest, silver tie. Very classic. That's Brandon for you. You guys hear his voice on here all the time. Soft, dulcet tones. You know, he's really, really a classic guy. And he went with that on this wedding. Knocked it out of the park. They looked great together. Looked like they had the time of their lives. Um, And then, you know, follow along on the honeymoon. Brandon, Instagram story. So the benefits you get of following us on Instagram is you can see what we're up to in our personal lives. You know, him and his new bride playing some bananagrams, like all great couples. Me and my girlfriend, we're a board game couple, which Brandon, I say that, Brandon is a much bigger board game person than I am. I guess mine's more trivia board games. He's any board game in the world. I go to him for board game recommendations, actually. Um, Then his next part of his story went out to the Georgia Sea Grill and had a Cajun grilled grouper, which probably a little too spicy for me. I'm a very picky eater, but... Brandon seems to have enjoyed it. He has the drooly emoji face on this one. So I think I think he had a good dinner that night. It looks very, very upscale. Um, they hit it out of the park. There's some nice little, what's the word for that, garnish on there with 
I want to say cilantro sprigs, but I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure he can correct me next time he's on the podcast. Next, we have a picture of a pool here with a baby sea turtle, which that's just good, clean, family fun, people. Who doesn't love a nice little sea turtle? Thinking back to our Finding Nemo days, I'm more of a Monsters, Inc. guy. But regardless, adorable little sea turtle. Then he has an even smaller sea turtle on his next part of his Instagram story at the Georgia Sea Turtle Center. And because Instagram stories only last 24 hours, that's all I have for you right now. But thank you for joining me on another episode of Garbage Into Gold. Myself and Brandon will be back for another episode as the Sixers by then will hopefully nail down the one seed in the Eastern Conference. We'll get a little more clarity on who the Sixers will be playing in the playoffs. And hopefully we'll have some more sound bites to kind of, you know, dig into, kind of get some hints to how Doc Rivers wants to line up the Sixers here in the playoffs. How we think it's going to shake out with either the Nets and the uh, Bucks, which which one we think is going to catch the Sixers or meet the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Again, knocking on my desktop to kind of get rid of that uh, jinx effect. However, you know, long way to go still. Sixers never make it easy. Like I said, they could already be the one seed, but they fell flat against the Pacers, who they could face in the first round. So that makes you feel good. Um, And I'm obviously rambling a little bit. So let me just say goodbye. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you again for joining us. And join us for our future episodes.